fighting every day. We love the momentum. Next live session, just uh, so you have a heads up, next Friday at noon Eastern or this Friday. Um, submit your Q&A questions at the end of the week one curriculum. We're going to answer them this week and then keep sharing your learnings in public. We'll probably have a handful of people sharing some visuals with today's frameworks broken down. So um, we highly encourage you to do that. Yep. Quick leaderboard quick update. Leaderboard. If you are collected all nine available badges so far, you're in the top 5%. Great stuff there. If you, Cole, you want to go to the next list, boom. This is everyone who's collected every badge. That includes both rapid fire badges. So if you thought you had everything claimed, you got to claim a new rapid fire badge this week. And this is everyone. So a, a thin list there. But congrats to everyone on that list. And hopefully this is bigger next time. All right. Uh, weekly Q&A session again. Drop your comments. Drop your questions. Cole and I will get to them at the end of the week. Deadline is Friday. Quick shout outs. Awesome, yeah, a couple awesome shout outs. Laura, uh, just that feeling of you, you hit publish and all of a sudden you feel that wave of momentum. That I felt the same way when I shipped my first atomic essay. That's the goal. Love that you feel that it only gets better. It only gets better. It only feels like you're building more and more momentum. So nice work. Tracy, best engagement rate I've seen in my four cohorts of ship 30. This is another awesome one. Things compound over time. You know, it, it, sometimes you write something, you go, oh, that's the, that's the most engaged thing I've ever written. And you have no idea that your next most engaged thing is right around the corner. You have no idea. So that's part of the fun of writing online and playing the game of writing online. Third, Will, this is something that we get into a little bit uh, at the end, but this idea of reusing, repurposing, refurbishing atomic essays in other places. You know, you can use it on personal sites. You can use it on company, on your company blog. You can use it across different social platforms. We love seeing this. Feel free to get creative. Um, a lot of times we notice shippers turning essays into topics to talk about in Twitter spaces and things like that. So feel free to do whatever it is that you want to do with your content. You created it. You own it. And this is really cool. Biggest post to date hit a nerve with my YouTube topics, 25,000 impressions. Again, you never know That's part, that you're always rolling the roulette. You never know what's going to work. So that's part of the fun of making noise and listening for signal. So real quick, just as a recap, this is again, where we're at in the path, 10 sessions, 10 badges. Um, you've already gotten these, these main ones, the future digital writer badge and the digital writer badge. Today, we're going to get you the idea machine badge, which is all about creating tons of topic ideas. Okay. So there's two problems we're solving for here. Either a, you go, I don't know what to write about, or you write about one topic once and you go, I don't know what to do with it. We're going to help show you how to turn that into a hundred ideas. You will have no shortage of ideas. On the other side, if you're someone who has too many ideas and you have trouble narrowing it down, you're going to be able to use this framework to refine all of the ideas you have and pick ones that are more specific. So you can approach this from both perspectives. So either way, the goal is to come out of here with more high quality ideas. Great. So and then we'll, how you can collect your next badge at the end of this session, comment on the replay with eight topic ideas that you generated from the endless idea generator. We think you'll have far more than eight by the end. So it should be pretty easy. And then I highly encourage everyone to block some time to read the deep dive this week. The endless idea generator is something that it's very easy to see, but then once you see someone else do it, your mind will, will, will it'll make a lot more sense to see it in action. 
So I wrote a post how I used it to create 112 content ideas in about 30 minutes. You can go and read through that afterwards and it will complement exactly the, the frameworks we talk about today pretty nicely. Yep. So here's the goal for today's session. We're going to go through, we're going to show you the endless idea generator. It takes a little bit. Okay. So don't, don't feel overwhelmed. Just, it takes a little bit. You got to stare at it. We're going to walk you through step-by-step step how it works. Then throughout, if you come up with ideas, we encourage you to write them down. Okay. How you're going to unlock that badge and it'll give you a whole new week of ideas is generating at least eight ideas from the endless idea generator. So at any point you come up with an idea, write it down. And then at the end, you'll do some workshopping with other shippers. This will either just help clarify the ideas that you have come up with, help you come up with new ideas. But either way, the two goals are you understand how this works and you unlock the badge. And also this will give you all of next week's topic ideas already. You don't have to use them all, but they're there if you need them. Okay. This is what the endless idea generator looks like. Dickie, you want to walk people through this at a high level? Yep. So we're going to go through all three steps here, but there are three pillars of the endless idea generator. First, you're going to come up with topics to write about. This is going to be a broad topic and a niche topic. We're going to show you how to add specificity to your broad topics and figure out what topics you're actually qualified to write about. Then we're going to show you the two different types of credibility, which are personal and borrowed, show you when you should use each of them and how you can use different ways to, um, both learn topics and share topics you already know about using both pieces of credibility. And then lastly, we have the 4A framework, which are how you can take a single idea like personal finance and write about it in a thousand different ways. So we're going to go through each of these step by step, get your notepads ready, get ready to write. And uh, there's going to be a lot here. So let's dig in. Yeah. I encourage everyone. You'll have the slides. If you want, you can screenshot this slide. So you have it. Um, and also if you've been in ship 30 multiple times, you know, this is something that we keep evolving. The reason we keep evolving the endless idea generator is because we try to listen to what questions people have and where they get confused. And we just want to keep expanding on those so that you really understand how this works. Okay. So the three big buckets here are you're choosing your topic and specificity helps you refine what that topic is. You're choosing the form of credibility. Is this personal credibility or is this borrowed credibility? And then third, you're choosing the execution. You're choosing the path and the way that you're going to organize all of that information. Okay, so we're going to walk through step-by-step step what each one means. So the topic is what are you writing about? And this is, it's both the easiest and the hardest part of the endless idea generator because if you choose a big, broad topic, it's very difficult to understand how the rest of the generator works, okay? So the key here is not to say, I write about money, right? You need to specify what aspect of that. And the more specific you can get, the easier it is to then come up with topics, okay? So if you're not sure what topics to write about, then we use what's called the two-year test. Dick, you wanna explain the two-year test? Yeah, the, the two-year test is a simple way to brainstorm all of the ideas that you could possibly write about. And so to find topics to write about, I encourage you to just do a long brain dump. And I think the biggest problem beginner writers face is they're not exactly sure what is worth saying or what people will actually pay attention to. But the goal of the two-year test is to uncover all the experience that you've built up over the last two years, because that is your sweet spot of the ideas you can actually write about. It could be two years, five years, 20 years, 
the the length of time doesn't matter, but it's all about doing a reflection of what have I experienced and done and learned over the last X amount of time that I can then start to share. So I put this at the bottom there. Um, writing's 95% of the time, figuring out which ideas are now obvious to you, but not obvious to other people. And once you make that mindset shift of, I know a lot of things that people will find interesting. I just have to go and uncover them. That's the goal of the two-year test. Yeah. So here on the left-hand side, right, these are just a bunch of random examples, but we take for granted, you know, the vacuum that we live in. If you experience something, you kind of just think, ah, that was just part of my life. The two-year test is a way of seeing yourself outside of yourself and going, okay, I experienced something, which means there are probably a lot of other people who are about to experience this thing or who also experience this thing or who want to experience this thing. And you can write for the version of yourself before that happened. That's really what you're doing. And anytime that you do that, you inherently are an quote unquote expert, right? Because you experience a thing that the person before you hasn't experienced yet. And so this is the thing that is very difficult for newer writers or even people that have been writing for a long time to wrap their, their head around is that you don't have to be Tony Robbins in order to write about life advice, right? Or you don't have to be Ray Dalio in order to write about building wealth. You just need to be one step ahead of the person before you. And so this is a great mechanism for doing that. So the best thing you can do, as Dickie said, is just list out everything, like try and do an audit of what are all the vacuums in your life that you've taken for granted? Where have you lived? You know, what kind of family dynamic did you grow up in? What jobs have you had? You know, what were your dreams, hopes, aspirations, and things that you wanted but weren't able to achieve, right? There are all of these things that we experience that we, we don't mine for content, and they're all ripe. They're all right there. And then from that list, start making noise. Start making noise, see what works. And then you double down on the things that work. Yeah, real quick, if you go back uh, one slide, these are, when I do the two-year test, I go down this list. What skills have you built? Struggles have you faced? Hobbies have you picked up? Problems have you overcome? Life transitions have you made? Stories you've experienced and topics you've learned about? So if you just go down that list, you're going to end up with 50 things and realize I have so much more to write about than I originally thought. I thought I wanted to write about just email marketing, but holy crap, do I have all these things. And this is all about just generating raw materials because you're not going to write about every single one of these, but it's good to look at all the options. Yep. Perfect example. I'm in Hawaii right now. This is my first time being in Hawaii. Tomorrow, I should go write an atomic essay called here are my you know, biggest impressions of being in Hawaii for the first time. Because I'm now an expert in going to Hawaii for the first time. That's how it works. So every single thing in your life that you experience, that you learn, path that you're on, job that you take, they are all opportunities for you to write for the version of yourself before that happened. Okay. So the next step is then adding specificity to this. Okay. So your goal is to, uh, there's an, uh, it's in the, the Naval Ravikant book, but he was explaining oh, it's how escape authenticity, escape competition through authenticity. Yeah, it, exactly. And it's, it's this idea where your goal is to keep getting more and more specific until there, there is no competition 
you are a category of one. And the important thing here is, and this is the, the misunderstanding is that it's not just about, I'm a unique snowflake and so I'm important, right? It's using specificity to create a specific interest for the reader. It's not about you. It's about using specificity for the reader. Okay. This is the difference between, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just a unique person. You should pay attention to me versus I'm being very specific about the thing that I'm giving to the reader, to the audience. So here are a bunch of specificity levers. Um, Dick, you want to walk, walk through this? Yeah. So when you think about, okay, what does it mean to actually get specific? And the goal here is to add specificity until you're writing to yourself two years ago, right? That's how you become an expert is just like Cole said, he would never write the ultimate guide to visiting Hawaii, right? Because you don't have expertise in there, but it's everything to do on your first day in Hawaii because you have expertise there, right? And once you make that mindset shift, if I have expertise, I just have to add specificity to unlock it, everything gets easier. So these are all the different levers you can pull that you're going to mix and match until, boom, you're basically writing to your former self because you know that there are millions of people out there just behind you on your journey that you're going to be able to write to. Yeah. So the more specific, think of specificity as a modifier. So the more you can modify the thing that you're writing about, the easier it is for the reader to go, oh, I understand you're not just talking about this. You're talking about this plus this plus this. It's the specificity that draws them in. Okay. So if you're playing with any of these different levers, right? So here's adding specificity with price. Okay. You can write it, write about things where, you know, people looking to invest their first thousand dollars, people who can't even spend a dollar, you, you're basically just taking a, a, the, the price point and you're saying, ah, oh, here's something that's expensive. I'm going to give it to you for free. Here's, here's something that most people charge a zillion dollars for. I'm going to break it down for you for a dollar, right? So using price, and obviously this is only related to certain topics, depending on what you're, what you're writing about, but using price can be a really great way of explaining to people, here's, I'm not just talking about money broadly. I'm talking about this thing specifically about it. And it's also your audience too, right? People on a tight budget versus people with a lot of money. Boom. That's a completely different audience to write about money with. Same thing with problem. Problem is, prob is probably the easiest place to start where you're choosing a specific problem for the reader. It's, again, it's not about you. It's what is the problem the reader is, is experiencing or the reader is interested in learning more about. So notice the difference if you're saying, I read about productivity tips for people with ADHD versus people who lack fulfillment. Those are two very different problems. And because they're different problems, they're going to attract different audiences, right? So the more specific you can be about the problem, then the easier it is for the person with that problem to see what you're writing about and go, oh, I resonate with this. I want to read this. Okay. So try and avoid when you sit down to think about what's the problem, try to avoid staying up in the clouds and going, oh, this is for people who, you know, don't feel happy. Get more specific people who don't feel happy because why? People don't feel happy because they lost their job. People that don't feel happy because, right, the more specific you can be, the better it is. Same thing with industry. Industry is an easy specificity lever. 
This is these are email marketing tips for SaaS startups versus group training gyms versus online course creators, right? Every time you change the audience, you change the industry, you're going to target it to a different type of reader. And the more the most important thing, which was a very this was a lesson that took me a really long time to understand, is that every time you push and pull one of these levers, the content changes. Right, what you write literally, the content and the words that you write change depending on I'm picking a different problem, I'm picking a different audience. Right, so this is one of those things where the more specific you can be with the decision, then the writing gets easier because you know, oh, if I'm writing for SaaS startups, I know exactly what I need to say to cater to that audience. Same thing with location if you're writing about. You know, what's it like to run a bakery in Chicago versus what it's like to run a bakery in Los Angeles? You know, the location itself is going to change things that you write about, the surrounding environment, the people you run into, the problems that you experience. So these are all just different specificity levers that you can push and pull. You can go back through the slides. You can refer back to them. We just want to kind of give you a high level of how these work. Situations also, like what, what are you experiencing? What's the reader experiencing? You know, this is time management for single moms. It's going to be very different than time management for C-suite executives, right? So you're think, you're always thinking like, what is the next modifier? Who is this for? What's the problem they have? Where do they live, right? The more specific you can be, and it feels weird. You're like, oh, I'm being so specific. No one's going to read this. But the more specific you can be, the more likely that the right person will read the thing that you wrote. And same thing with experience. This is for a total beginner. This is for an expert who wants to improve the last 1%, right? They're two completely different audiences and you've got people all in between. So all of these are just different levers you can push and pull here. Yeah, and you're going to combine these, right? You're gonna take price and demographic, right? I write about you know, health tips for stay-at-home dads on a budget, boom. And all these are just levers. Hopefully that uh, there's enough there for you to combine to write to your former self. So that's yeah. the whole point of tying this together with the two-year test is I figure out where I was and then I tweak those specificity levers until I'm basically writing a letter to myself. So here's as a recap. recap, here's how this works. But wait, is anyone gonna read my stuff if I get specific? This is always the biggest question here. If I limit it, right? Aren't I limiting my readers? And the loud, overwhelming neon sign answer is no. It is the opposite. The more specific you can be, the more likely it is that the right person will read and care about the thing that you wrote about. So I heard this quote on a Masters of Scale podcast with Derek Thompson, and it resonated with me so heavily. He relates the internet to Tokyo. And the way I think about this is if you think no one is going to read your niche writing, you are drastically underestimating the scale and size of the internet. So the part I really love is I'm going to zoom in a little bit so I can see it. But he says, if you go to Tokyo, you'll see there are lots of really, really strange shops. There'll be a shop that's only 1970s vinyl, 1980s whiskey. That makes sense for a small city, but doesn't make sense in Des Moines, Iowa, like a, like a random place in the middle of nowhere. And he says, but there's 30, 40 million people really close to Tokyo. And that's why you can get so specific. And then he says this beautiful, beautiful quote. He says, the internet is Tokyo. The internet allows you to be niche at scale. 
niche at scale is something I think young people should aspire to. So all this is saying is if you get very specific about a problem, in the old days, yes, that would be way too specific and you would have to keep things general and broad. But now you can get so specific and then leverage the scale of the internet to say, I know that if I had this problem two years ago, there are millions of other people and I'm going to employ these army of robots that is the internet to go distribute it and get it in front of them. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other way uh, we love framing this is if you were to write a letter to yourself, or if someone was to write a letter to yourself, the more specific it would be, the more you would read it. Okay. So Dickie, if I wake up tomorrow and I go, Dickie, I'm mailing you something special in the mail. It's called everything I think about Dickie. And it's 900 pages and you're going to get it in a box and it's going to be this big, right? Dickie's going to read every single word of that book called all everything I think about Dickie, right? Why? Because we all want to read about ourselves, right? That, that's why we consume content. That's why we read. That's why we watch the movies we do. That's why we listen to the music that we do, right? And so the question of specificity, if I go to Dickie and I go, hey, Dickie, do you want to learn how to be successful? You'd go, I don't know. And I don't know why I should listen to you. Are you an expert in that? That seems really broad. There's lots of different ways that you define success. Which one are we talking about, right? And his brain starts going with all these questions. And if confused, the reader's gone. Okay, and so he just goes, I'm out. I mean, not only would I read it, I would stop everything else and read the whole book. And then I'd call you on the phone and say, how much more can I pay you to write another version? Because oh, all I want to do is keep pages. reading about this. Like, I yeah. don't know what amount of money I wouldn't pay for another book like this. And that's the whole point of specificity, right? If, you're, if you write something on time management and you try to sell a time management course, you can charge $5. But if I said, here's a time management course for you, Cole, that is perfectly designed for you to get the most out of your life and fulfillment, you probably pay everything you have, right? And it's, it's time management broadly versus, hey, Cole, here's time management for someone who's really creative struggles uh, to stay focused for long periods of time, um, is in their early 30s. Uh, like he just lists off, here's all the problems that you're experiencing. And every time I read a problem, I go, yes, yes, yes. That's me. That's me. That's me. Right? That's what you're going for. You want the reader to sit there going, yes, yes, yes. You understand me. And you can only do that through specificity. And naturally, yes, this is cutting out a large number of readers. By definition, if Cole writes a book, to me, everyone on earth, it's irrelevant to. But the value that I get from it is so high, and that's what you're going for. And you're really not cutting out everyone. You're just cutting out a large number of people and writing only to the people your writing is going to resonate with. Yeah. So here's a quick example of how this works. Someone goes, I want to write about money. Okay. Well, let's go through and let's add more specificity. Version two, I write about investing money. Notice this is going to this is going to create a very different piece than I write about saving money versus I write about stealing money. Right? Those are very different pieces. So, getting specific by one layer just immediately rules out like fifty percent of the readers. But that's a good thing because the other fifty percent now understand why they should read your stuff right? 
Then you go again. I write about investing your first thousand dollars for college dropouts. Okay. We just ruled out 95% of the potential readers, but the 5% are going to go, wow, this is exactly for me. You might as well have written me a letter called everything I think about Dickie, right? That's, that's what you're going for. And then version four, investing your first thousand dollars for female community college dropouts. Okay. Let's get even more specific. So your goal is not to cater to everyone. It's more important for you to understand who your content is not for than it is for you to understand who your content is for, right? So every time you sit down to write, you should think all of these people over here are never going to read my stuff. And that is a good thing. You should be comforted by that thought. That should not be something that intimidates you. That should be a validation that you are moving in the right direction. All right. So let's take a pause, drop in the chat, a broad topic you want to write about, and then pull some specificity levers to say email marketing for SaaS startups or health tips for single moms. Add some kind of specificity and use one of those levers to connect to the person you were two years ago. Meal prep for young professionals. Boom. Zettel casting for history students. Marketing for entrepreneurs. Web3 for closure programmers. That's great. Super niche. Email marketing for service providers, right? Crypto Web3 intro for boomers. <laughs> That's great. Email marketing for high ticket fintech startups. See how this is, right? You came in and said, I want to write about email marketing, but now you cut out 95% of people and say, nope, just high ticket fintech startups. Completely different content, completely different ballgame, but a huge audience. You just have unlocked it through specificity. Yep. What else? Board meetings for nonprofits. Squarespace for consultants. Life hacks for expat women in their 50s. That's what we're talking about. Right? Yes. Newly promoted CMOs. Marketing for first-time builders, right? So you can go back 82 new messages. Wow. Okay, great. How to make life suck less for young adults. Gain so credibility the- on a C-suite job in your early 30s. These are all really good examples. The, the big thing that we want to emphasize here is specificity at first feels uncomfortable, but specificity multiplied by time is how you become known for, an, for a niche, right? That, that's the thing. You go from, I wrote one essay, you know, here, here's an idea, metaverse for non-gamers. Okay. You write one essay about here's how to understand the meta, metaverse, even if you're not a gamer. You do that one time and a couple readers might go, whoa, that was amazing. That was super interesting. Okay, great. You do that for 10 years and all of a sudden everyone knows you as I explain how the metaverse works for people who aren't into gaming. And it's that being known for a niche you own. It's that specificity that unlocks all the compounding benefits. Okay. And it doesn't have to be a marriage decision, but in order to get there, you have to start injecting specificity into everything that you do so that you can figure out where's the opportunity here, right? Am I a beginner instructor or am I an expert instructor? You know, am I a, for this audience or for this audience, do I solve X problem or do I solve Y problem? That's that decision-making is what ultimately unlocks all the potential for you. And, and to tie this back into what we're doing here in ship 30 is you're going to explore a ton of different niches. Right. You could write. So say it's email marketing. Three days you do for SaaS startups and you say, ah, that didn't 
that didn't resonate with me, right? You're generating all this noise, like we talked about in the first session, and then listening for signal of, hey, I really like to write about this topic and this level of specificity really resonate with me. And that's what you're getting to explore. So I think don't get in the trap of, oh, I pick a niche and then I'm there forever, right? The whole point of this is to explore a bunch of different ones and you're going to get to do that. It's a long process and not something you pick on the first day. Yep. So here, this is happening in real time, everyone. Okay. So here in the chat, Jelena goes, who said expat women in their fifties? That got my ears perked up because that's me. That is how writing works. Okay. Out of how many people are on this zoom call out of 326 people on here right now, one person goes, that is exactly me. Okay. That's the goal. And on the internet, on Twitter, where there's 600 million people, right? That one person all of a sudden compounds into, oh, wait, actually, there's 100 people. Oh, wait, actually, there's 1,000 of them. Oh, actually, there's 50,000 of that one specific type of person who goes, that's me. Okay? So your goal is not to write for everyone. If you're writing about expat women in their 50s, you should sit down and go, this is for you, Jelena. And then everyone who's just like Jelena is going to raise their hand and go, this is me too. Okay? That's the goal. So specificity feels very uncomfortable in the beginning, but you, your goal is not to make everyone happy. Your goal is to ignore 99% of people and make everything that you do mean the world to the 1% that you're trying to communicate to. That's your whole goal. That's the game. And here's why it's so valuable is because 99.9% .9 of people cannot get over that uncomfortable fact of being so specific that they think no one's going to read. Yes. So 99.9% .9 of writers sit around and say, I write about productivity tips and they do it on their blog and no one comes and reads it because it's generic. They're not putting it in front of the right people. It's not resonating with anyone and it's not compounding. Right. Yes. So that we just want to drive that point home is on the other side of specificity is where all the riches lie. Right. The, the, the cliche term is the riches are in the niches, right? So the more specific you get, then you start to write things that really resonate. Yes. So that is, that is the first piece of the endless idea generator is coming up with what are you writing about and what specifically, okay? And these are all fluid parts, okay? So as, as you make decisions, you're kind of moving from one piece to the next piece to the next piece, and you're figuring out what works as you go, okay? The second piece is the credibility. And there's two types of credibility. Dick, you want to dig into this? Sure. So what we just did, right? We took your broad topic, email marketing, health tips, productivity tips, whatever it is. And then we added a bunch of specificity to it. And the way to think about this is, with one of those, you added enough specificity where you are now an expert, right? You said, I write about health tips for women in their 40s who just started a new job, something like that, because that's what you have a lot of expertise in. But then on the other side, you might just want to write about health topics broadly, not for this specific group, but you don't really have the expertise or the credibility to talk about that topic, right? That big, broad topic as some expert would, someone who's studied it their whole life, whatever. So there's really two types of credibility that you can then start writing about. 
you take your niche topics and say, here's what I've done. Here's what's worked for me. Here's my experience. Here's my story. Here are my systems. Everything about me. That's personal credibility. Here, stay on the, stay on the back. Cool. Then you have your broad topic and saying, hey, I'm no expert in this big, big ball game here, but I'm going to go look at all the experts who are and share their expertise. And that's borrowed credibility, which you go and say, I, I'm not going to write about how to become a billionaire because I'm not one, but I'm going to go share Elon Musk's biggest lessons and things like that, right? So it's just, there's two different credibility levers to pull based on the size of the topic you're writing about. And so go to the next slide and we'll walk through some examples, right? Let's take a look at productivity advice, broad topic, niche topic. Productivity advice for middle market SaaS project managers. See, and the hint here is if I'm writing about this, I am a middle market SaaS project manager, right? So I'm writing very easily all the different systems and tools and gadgets and management principles that I've learned as a SaaS project manager. Now, here are a bunch of potential posts you could write. How to use the Eisenhower matrix. Why time blocking is the key to productivity and the 10 best time management techniques. Now. What you don't want to go do is write those exact posts, right? Because those are way too broad and you don't have the expertise to write about them. So Cole, you want to jump? Bad would be how to use the Eisenhower matrix, right? Because you are not an expert there. You haven't studied it. You haven't really done enough to put it into practice. And it's not going to resonate with anyone if you just write that. Instead, if you go how middle market SaaS project managers can use the Eisenhower matrix, and here's my system for doing it. Here's how I do it every day. Here's how it's helped me get promoted. There's a whole different ballgame where you're talking about your exact expertise with big personal credibility. And people always are going to resonate with it when they see it because, oh, wow, I'm a SaaS project manager. And you're showing me exactly how you use it in your job. We have very similar jobs. I know I can put it into practice right away. So that is the, is the, the niche side. Or you can say, hey, I, I don't want to write about the very specific. I just want to write about the Eisenhower matrix in general, but no one's going to read it if you just say, hey, me, middle, you know, middle of the road, SASH project manager, whatever. Here's my thoughts on the Eisenhower matrix. People are going to go, meh, like no thanks. But then you could say, here's how 10 billionaires use the Eisenhower matrix. And everyone's going to read that because there's a ton of credibility there. Right? Here's a bunch of experts who are really clear decision makers that prioritize well, and that's how you can use it. So I just want to break down those two different examples of, hey, if you're going to use personal credibility, make sure it's something super specific to you. But if you're going to talk about a broad topic, you have to borrow some credibility from some kind of experts. If you do nothing else but internalize the last 90 seconds of what Dickie said, you will be successful <laughs> because this decision this decision is the hardest part. The hardest part for people to wrap their head around is why should someone listen to me? And you have two answers. A, you should listen to me because I've experienced it. Or B, you should listen to me because I went out and I curated all the people who know what they're talking about. And that's it. And if you do nothing else but just successfully and consciously choose one of those two things, every time you sit down to write, you will be more successful than 99% of the writers because most people don't make that as a choice, right? They just sit down and start writing. Here's what I think, right? But why? 
Why does that matter? Is what you think relevant to the topic? Are you the expert? Have you experienced something? Or are you curating the experts? And that's why people pay attention to you. So that this decision is very important. All right. So let's look at a couple of examples because this will drive it home. So here's my take on my personal credibility versus Cole's. I, Cole's been writing, Cole, you started writing when? 2014 online? Probably 2012, way before that. 2007. Like, two, yeah, way before that, right? Cole is an expert of internet writing, period. He knows everything about it. I started in January, 2020. So I'm a little over two years. My exact credibility is building a writing habit, right? Because I, that was what I struggled with. I overcame everything of how to generate ideas, how to overcome procrastination, whatever. That was what I was an expert in. So I wrote a lot about that. And I want to look at these two posts here to break it down. So Colt, you want to talk about using personal credibility on the ghostwriting side? Personal credibility is, it's always easier to see in big achievements, right? So you notice in this lead in tweet that I wrote, it's like, okay, over the past four years, I've ghostwritten more than 2000 articles for all these credible people. Here are my templates, right? And the average person goes, well, I can't use that type of credibility because I haven't achieved anything like that. Okay, I go back to the Hawaii example. I just went to Hawaii. Here's everything that you should do on your first day because I just had the best first day ever in Hawaii. That's personal credibility. I'm an expert. I just did it, right? Borrowed credibility is going, you know what? I'm not the expert. I'm going to go find the expert and I'm going to go curate all of their insights. And when you put these two side by side, it becomes very easy. Every time you come up with a topic, which one is it? Are you the expert? Or are you not the expert and you're curating the experts? And as soon as you're clear about that, it becomes really obvious. What's the path? Oh, I'm borrowing credibility. I got to go find a bunch of experts, right? Or, oh, personal credibility. What did I do? What's my story? What did I experience? What did I learn? Right? So this is, this is where the big decision happens. Yeah. And just to highlight my side on the left here, I do not have experience writing for 2000 plus C-suite executives, right? But so I went and studied Gary Halbert, the highest paid copywriter in history and distilled his frameworks down. And you can see, right? If I had come out and this, this Twitter thread got 10,000 likes and I had never written a sales letter that had generated a billion dollars in revenue, but because I did a very good job saying, Hey, 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 I'm not the expert here but I went and found someone who is, and here's a breakdown of their system. It got a ton of attention, right? And Cole had success because he came out and said, hey, I've done this. Here's my expertise. Here's why you should listen to me. If I'd have gone and said, hey, I've never written a single sales letter in my life. Here's my system. No one's going to read it, right? And that's exactly why I went and curated an expert for this because I didn't have the expertise expertise to write about it. So I borrowed some. Two quick things. One, notice which one got more engagement. Dickie's got almost twice as much as mine. So being the expert is not always the best path forward. Curating expertise is just as valuable and just as shareable, right? They're just different. It's not that one's better than the other. 
And second is, because I, I, I've been reading the chat as we go through this, this is not a marriage decision. You don't make this decision once and go, now I can't write about anything but time management techniques for single moms who live in Arkansas, right? That's not what we're saying. It's that for each individual thing that you write, you want to go through this process and go, today's atomic essay is for this person with this problem living in this location, with, you know, with this mindset that has this dream, right? It's for each individual thing that you write. And then over time, you take all those data points and you go, you know what? There's really only one or two audiences that are driving the majority of my engagement. So I'm going to really double down on those two. But for everything else, all you're doing is making noise, listening for signal and doing it on an individual basis. And then just it's quickly, here's the exact opposite where I used personal credibility and read the story on the left. College completely failed in teaching me how to write. So I spent 500 hours studying legendary authors and copywriters. There's my credibility. Hey, I'm no expert. I didn't learn this, but I did invest a lot of time trying to learn it. Here's everything I learned. That's my personal credibility. And then Cole with an example on the other side of borrowed credibility, writing about Ryan Holiday. So same thing, totally different ball game. I wouldn't come out and write about ghostwriting, but I can say, hey, I've done this over the last two years. Yeah. And this, I, I just double clicking, Tiffany, your question in the chat, does it have to be either personal or borrowed? Can you do a combo of both? Here's the golden rule. The golden rule is as much as possible, avoid the word and, right? Anytime you feel yourself coming up with, it, with an example where you're like, well, it's for this audience and this audience. No. No, my 900 page book to Dickie does not say everything I think about Dickie and a couple of his friends. It's everything I think about Dickie, right? The more that you pick one, it again, it's not a marriage decision, right? We're just talking about one atomic essay, 300 words. That's it. But in that container, in that little 300 word container, pick one, one idea, one audience, one problem. Avoid and, and complicates everything. All right, real quick, one minute, drop in the chat. Which type of credibility are you thinking about using? Personal or borrowed? What comes to mind immediately? One's gonna resonate with you. And you'll see some are personal. I think a lot of people will feel stronger about using personal once they understand the specificity, right? Mm -hmm. They might've come in and said, I can't write anything personal. I have nothing to say. But then once you add a bunch of specificity levers, boom, you can use personal. So yeah, I see a good breakdown of everything. Personal, a lot more personal than I would have expected. And I think it's because we explained the, the specificity side, mm -hmm. but go with both, make a lot of noise, keep going. So, all right, cool. Let's keep it rolling. All right. The topic, the credibility. Now we get into the path and the approach. This is, this is what brings it all home. Okay. So we got four paths. Everything on the internet can be reverse engineered into these four paths. You are either actionable, you're teaching someone how to do something, analytical, here's the breakdown, here's why this happened, extracting an insight, looking at a trend, a stat, something like that. Aspirational, it's the classic I did, you can too, right? Motivating, selling the dream, or anthropological. Here's why, here's the real reason right? Here's, here's the societal underlying human behavior, why we do what we do. Okay. So 
we're going to go through each one of these and just kind of explain how they work. In an actionable path, it is all about teaching the reader how to do something. So how do you teach someone how to do something? You give them steps, you give them tips, you give them tools, hacks, advice, resources, frameworks, right? Your whole goal, every piece of the thing that you write is engineered to walk the reader from, you don't know how to do it, now you do know how to do it. And we've all read really bad actionable pieces. It's like you Google search, you know, how do I plant tomatoes in my backyard? And you click an article and it's like, step one, you got to love gardening. And then step two, you got to just show your plants love. And then step three, just make sure that some good old fashioned sunshine gets on them. And you're like, literally, I have no idea what dirt to buy. I don't know what tools to use. Where do I get my seeds? You're frustrated, right? Because the article said it was going to teach you how to do something. And it didn't teach you. It just motivated you. Anyone can plant tomatoes in their backyard, right? And that's the problem. So depending on which path you pick, you have to be very clear about what is the goal here. And actionable is I want to teach the reader how to, okay? So here's a bunch of different, Dick, you want to walk through this? Yeah. So real quick, what we're going to do with each of these paths is show you that every single idea you can write about in multiple ways. So here's actionable books across money, marketing, self-help, and health and fitness, right? I will teach you to be rich, how to write copy that sells, how to win friends and influence people, how to get strong. So keep these in mind. This is what actionable looks like. This is one of the paths you can take with any topic is you can write a how-to guide to do something. Yep. So once you, once you understand, like most people master one of these paths, once you understand how one of these paths work, you can apply it to any niche or category you want. Okay. Analytical is here's a trend. Here are some numbers, you know, here, here's a data point, you know, 53% of people in El Salvador uh, now have a Bitcoin wallet, you know? Okay. Let's talk about what that means, right? You're extracting an insight from some sort of number stat, you know, and what you can do with that is here's a bunch of different now analytical examples across different verticals, right? Is like, why does this happen? You know, okay. Even in a broad sense, macroeconomically with Ray Dalio's book, or why does this happen for Facebook advertising? That's really specific. You know, why do billionaires use the habits and tactics that they do? Yeah, these are just sharing analytical kind of breakdowns. The way I think about it is a swipe file or an example or a case study, things where you're analyzing and showing the reader kind of step-by-step step of why things are working a certain way. And so I love this tools of Titans versus how to win friends and influence people. One's a how-to guide and one is here's a bunch of different breakdowns of, of successful people and what they do. So another example here of, of all the different topics, but analytical only. Yep. Aspirational is the classic I did, you can too. It's very motivating. Lessons learned. It's more reflective. You know, here's mistakes I made. Um, a lot of people think that they want to write aspirational content. It, it is its own <laughs> language, you know, like it's hard. Like it's hard to really motivate someone like that. So even though aspirational seems kind of like the shiny object of the four, you know, everyone wants to be the big motivator. 
you got to be really good at motivating people in order for this path to work for you. Okay. So here's a bunch of different aspirational examples, right? Like rich dad, poor dad doesn't teach you how to open an IRA. It just teaches you how to take money seriously and that you can too, you can change your life too. Right. And so you have to be conscious about depending on the topic that I'm writing about, which path is really best, you know, and the mistake is thinking I'm writing an aspirational piece, but really you're writing a how-to piece, right? That's where the confusion lies. Yeah. To me, I saw, so I pulled these examples together and it's, you know, here, go to the next slide because we'll tie it all together at the end. The last one is anthropological, which is explaining the why, the human nature. It's a, it's a step deeper than how to. It, it really helps the reader understand why things are a certain way. And you can tie this together with different, um, with, we'll show you how to combine them afterwards. But these are sharing your fears, your failures, your struggles, some observations you've had, comparing two things, telling someone that, hey, the way they see the world is different than what's really happening. And it's the human nature side, the psychology side. And this is, it's a meta way of thinking about things. It's, I'm going to explain underneath to help you change from, change your behavior from a psychological level versus here's a step-by-step guide. And so here's another example of all of these from money marketing, self-help, health and fitness, right? Psychology of money, think and grow rich, the psychology of persuasion, right? Change your body, change your mind. All of those are digging into the why of things. And um, a lot of people really enjoy writing this way. Yeah. And so again, the whole, the whole point here is to be conscious of your decision. Because the mistake happens when you pick one path, but really you're trying to do a different path because then you don't really know what am I creating? You know, why does this matter to the reader? So the whole idea here is when you sit down to write, asking yourself, which one is it? And avoid and, right? You can combine them, but it's way easier to go. This is an actionable piece. I'm teaching the reader how to do something. Okay. So Again, the beauty of this is once you see it, now when you read, try and not read passively. When you're scrolling through essays on Twitter or you're reading articles on whatever website, read the headline, read a paragraph or two and ask yourself, which one is it? Is this a how-to piece? Is this an analytical piece? And and you being able to answer that question is going to make it so much more obvious what you gravitate to you're going to realize, oh, wow, I literally only read analytical pieces. That should tell you something, right? That's, a, that's an important data point to show what are you most interested in. And, and the second point here is you can take one topic and build an entire career around one path within that topic. So jump to these book examples. Here's the topic of money with all four examples, right? I will teach you to be rich. That's actionable. The changing world order that's analytical. Rich dad, poor dad, that's aspirational. And psychology of money, that's anthropological, right? So the idea that I have one topic and there's only one way to write about it. No, these four have created their entire career around one path within one topic, right? And it's all about money, but there's infinite ways to write about money. So whatever topic you're interested in, think about what path am I also interested in, right? What resonates with me when I go down that path? Yep. 
Yeah. The whole, uh, again, this isn't something that most people know day one, you know, the more that you write, the more this answer will reveal itself. But the point here is it, you, it's really not about being everything to everyone. Just notice how specific each one of these writers were and all of their benefit comes from the specificity. Same thing with marketing, actionable, how to, anytime you see a title that says how to X, that's an actionable piece you know, analytical, trends, stats, right? Numbers, aspirational, my life, <laughs> my life in advertising, right? I did, you can too. And then anthropological, the psychology, here's, here's what's going on behind the scenes. Okay. Same thing, self-help. These are all just the same examples of each vertical is its own thing. And your differentiation comes from, well, where's the gap? Like if you look at an industry, wellness has tons of how-to and aspirational content. You might go, no one's doing the analytical stuff, right? No one's really breaking down the science of the body. I'm going to go and dig into that. Yeah. And so we can just keep, keep rolling here because two questions come up. The difference between actionable or anthropological and uh, analytical. Analytical is trends and processes and numbers and breakdowns. Versus anthropological is the why, like the psychology, the human nature side. So that's to me is the difference is one's talking about psychology. One is kind of more tactical breakdowns of things. And, but this is where we, we always get this question. Can I combine these? Right. And the answer is absolutely yes. A lot of things you do are going to be combining these paths. So here are just some quick examples. Yeah. Now, so you can, you can combine the actionable and analytical you know, I've studied a hundred landing pages. Here's why each one works. And here's a step-by-step guide to 10X year conversion, you know, aspirational and anthropological. I used to have a horrible relationship with money. Here's how I fixed it, right? So you can have blends, but especially when you're first starting out, it is way easier to just think, which one am I doing? Start there. The answers reveal themselves. All right. So drop in the chat, which path do you find yourself gravitating towards so far, right? You'll know kind of, you'll get a sense. A lot of people start with actionable. A lot of people storytelling, aspirational. That's what they like. Good. Okay. Everyone's kind of making a choice. You'll see that everyone's interested in a little bit of different ones. And again, this goes back to making noise, right? Spend some days doing analytical. See if you like it. Spend some days doing anthropological. See if you like it. And you're going to find one, it's going to resonate with you immediately the first time you write it. And you're going to stick with that one for a long time. So that is the beauty of it. Good. And see a lot of combinations. Good. That means you're kind of, the gears are turning, I think. All right. Quick 30 second recap of everything we ran through. Three pillars. There's three components. Start with the two-year test, right? Take some time to dig through these slides, read the deep dive afterwards as well, but start with the two-year test, brainstorm all the things you're qualified to write about. You're going to have a big long list. From there, add a little bit of specificity, write to your former self, cut some readers out and think about how can I make this where it's going to resonate with at least one person and then write to that person. Figure out your credibility, right? Do you want to use broad borrowed credibility or personal credibility, sharing your own experience? and then play with those levers a little bit, do some curation, do some personal, and then go through the 4A paths. Think about which one you want to write about, which one's going to be 
the most fun? Which one are you resonating with already? And then that combined with everything goes to this slide. Boom. There it is all on one slide. There's a lot here. There's a lot you can dig into. You don't have to get it all figured out today. You're not going to be able to, but this is just a lifelong. So I use this this morning to generate a bunch of ideas. Cole and I use this just about every day. And I think once you understand that all I need is one topic and then I have 50 things to write about and I can go write for two months, right? It becomes a lot easier. It becomes more fun. You can keep it as a science experiment. Yep. So, and also to start wherever you want on here. Like the reality is if it's easier, you can start with, I want to write an actionable piece. Okay. So start there and then go back to step one and go, all right. So what specifically, right? What's the topic that I want to put into the actionable piece? And then what's my credibility? So you can bounce around. The point is these are all, these are all the levers. And the more you get used to pushing and pulling, then when you sit down to write, you go, oh, I know exactly what I'm going to write about. Right. That's the idea here. So like Dickie said, really encourage you to go through and read the deep dive because the deep dive will give you a full look into how to use this step-by-step, -step, not just kind of here's how this works in theory. Yeah. You get a, a deep dive into my personal journal where I did this all by hand one morning and you can see the exact steps I took. That'll clear up a lot of any confusion, but drop in the chat, your golden nugget. What new ideas do you have based on what we covered today, which of these resonated with you to your test specificity, credibility, what stuck out that you're, that you're running away with two types of credibility, specificity four A's, right? There's a lot here. We know if we could teach the entire course just on the LS idea generator. And it's very hard to say multiple times as you can kind of hear. It is very hard to say. <laughs> you, you can only say endless idea before all I, this. I usually just go EIG by the end. So, <laughs> EIG usually has it, but again, we just wanted to lay this entire framework out there because from the very beginning, the biggest problem is I'm probably not sure what to write about. Now your problem should be, I have way too much to write about, and that's a good thing. So you'll see at the end of the deep dive, I leave everyone with a piece of advice, which is don't think that I need to map out six months with the EIG. Use it come up with some ideas and then pick three and write about them for three days. Because I guarantee when you do that for three days, something's going to click, a new idea is going to spark and you're going to scrap that whole old list. It happens to me every time. I come up with a hundred ideas. I pick three, I go write about them and boom, they take me on a whole new journey that I stay on for two or three months. So don't think that, oh no, I'm going to have this list of a hundred ideas. How do I organize it? Stay out of that generate some ideas, and then just put them into practice tomorrow, right? That's why we do this every single day. And yeah, yep. EIG is Endless Idea Generator.